This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays, 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. For the program, Rob Breckenridge with you here on this Thursday afternoon. Again, our number, 403-974-8255. We'll uh, open the phone lines back up later in this hour. But off the top of this hour, I want to talk about, well, well, two foreign policy threats that Canada certainly needs to be not just aware of, but prepared to deal with. Uh, Russian aggression and Chinese aggression. I, I think on the latter there's at least more awareness uh, about the threat that China poses, and in particular, the hostage diplomacy they're prepared to use to put pressure on Canada, countries like Canada. And we've certainly seen the way they've uh, responded to countries like Australia that dare to stand up to them. We've also seen how China's prepared to act, whether it be in Hong Kong or with regard to the uh, Uyghur minority in China. So we'll, we'll talk a bit about how we can respond and how we can push back both in terms of working with allies and making use of the tools we have, including, and in particular, Canada's Magnitsky Law. So I want to get into that, but also the, the threat of Russian aggression. Now, it's interesting. We had the story uh, late last month that uh, Russian hackers, as well as North Korean hackers, were trying to target vaccine research, targeting organizations who've been working on coronavirus vaccines. Now, fast forward to this week. Now, the U.S. government confirming yesterday that several of its networks were affected by a recent hacking campaign widely suspected to be led by the Russian government, calling the attack significant and ongoing. And certainly it is significant. It is a major concern and something Canada should be paying close attention to. So joining us uh, to talk more about uh, these challenges we face and uh, what Canada needs to be prepared for. Very pleased to welcome to the program here this afternoon, Marcus Kolga, who is a senior fellow at the McDonald laurier Institute. He's director of their Disinfo Watch project, disinfowatch.org. He's also a writer, a human rights activist, and helped lead the Canadian and international campaign for Magnitsky legislation. As mentioned more, at, uh, McDonaldLaurier.ca, disinfowatch.org. Marcus, so great to have you with us here this afternoon. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on, Rob. Uh, first of all, I want to get your thoughts on this uh, this uh, hack we've heard about this week. The U.S. government describes as significant and ongoing, widely believed to be the work of of the Russian government. What, what might Russia be up to here? What's their end game? Do you think? Well, you know, I, I think the U.S. government right now is is scratching their heads as well. They're a bit stunned. Um, from all uh, indications, this uh, this hack of uh, solar winds—they're calling it the Orion hack. Um, it seems that it could be one of the largest uh, breaches of cybersecurity in history. We've never seen anything like this. Um, tens of thousands of private firms have been affected by this hack. Um, like you said, a, a number of U.S. agencies, including uh, defense uh, department uh, systems, have been affected. And Canada's also been affected. Um, you know, our Department of Defense, if we look back at historic uh, procurement documents, they also 
have uh, paid for this same service, SolarWinds, on their system. So what this is is a, is a software service um, that pretty much automatically updates uh, software critical uh, systems on on the networks of these large uh, organizations. And uh, what has happened here is that there's been an extremely sophisticated attack whereby um, clearly it seems like everyone is indicating that and uh, and attributing this to the Russians, to their their foreign intelligence agency, the SVR. Um, what they've done is basically planted a piece of software on the solar wind system, which has automatically gone out to all of these systems worldwide that use solar wind software. Um, and and what has happened is they've piggybacked on that software and uh, undetected to all of these systems has gone into these systems going back to March and has started infecting these these networks of these all these organizations. Um, and the real problem here is that once a piece of malware like that gets into a system, the hackers then are able to roam around inside the networks on individual computers, on servers, uh, grab data, uh, even passwords. And once they get access to that one system, they start growing and they get access to other systems. So we're not even close to understanding the extent of this hack, what data has been breached, um, and what systems have really gone into it just because it's been going on since since March, and it's ongoing. We have no idea, because um, once the fox is in the hen house, so to speak, um, there's no getting it out. So it's, it's really serious, and uh, it presents a pretty uh, significant national security risk right now. Well, as you say, I mean, Canada's already affected by this, but certainly yeah. it should raise concerns about our own vulnerability. Look, if, if the U.S. is vulnerable, I mean, what, what does that say about the position Canada's in? And I mean, the other side of it is, too, obviously, that, you know, what what do we do in, in response? And so that that's going to become the other question, I, I would suspect. Yeah, I mean, this isn't the first time either, as you mentioned earlier. Uh, you know, there was a, a hack just uh, last month into... Uh, COVID research facilities in July, um, the U.S., Canada, and the U.K. put out a joint statement because they detected again that Russia was hacking our COVID research facilities, and we were already warning about uh, about this. Uh, our intelligence agencies, um, the Europeans, uh, were all warning about the the threat of, of foreign hacking already in March. So. You know, it doesn't seem like we've done a very good job of, of protecting ourselves against it. And, and, you know, what do we do about it? I mean, there, there are a few tools that we have. Um, you know, the U.S. certainly can, can hit back with its own, uh, you know, cyber attacks. I, I'm not sure how effective that will be. Canada has in its uh, arsenal not just to, you know, uh, hold foreign governments to account when they engage in these sorts of cyber attacks, but also you know, human rights abuses. Uh, we have what are called, as you mentioned, uh, the Sergei Magnitsky sanctions. The Sergei Magnitsky law was, was passed in 2017. It allows us to place targeted sanctions on individuals um, in foreign countries who engage in human rights abuse, corruption, you know, including things like cyber attacks. Um, and it, what we can do with those sanctions is freeze their assets if they have them in Canada and bar them from, from coming to Canada. Now, not a lot of them... Uh, you know, necessarily come to Canada, but now that the United Kingdom, the U.S., the EU, and soon Australia will have these sanctions, if we coordinate with them, which we haven't done yet, and quite frankly, Canada hasn't used these sanctions since 2018, so we've sort of fallen asleep on the wheel with this. 
uh, or at the wheel with this, um, we'll soon have the opportunity to coordinate. And if we can coordinate sanctions with our allies, that's a pretty powerful tool because, uh, you know, these the types of people who engage in this activity and steal from their own people, engage in human rights abuse in places like China and Russia, they don't keep their money. They don't want to keep their money in Russia. They don't want to keep their money in China. They want to hide it because half the time they're stealing it. And so if we can bar them from keeping their money here, from traveling to their uh, ski lodge in, in B.C. Or, or going to that uh, on that trip to southern Europe, and if we do it all together, that's, that's a pretty powerful deterrent. Uh, but we've got to start working on this soon because, like I said, we haven't done anything with our sanctions since 2018. Yeah, that's the thing. Look, I mean, getting this Magnitsky law brought forward and passed and you were involved in that campaign, and yeah. that, that was a big achievement, right? That was a huge step in the right direction. But I guess if we're not prepared to use it, then I mean, what's what's the point of having it, right? So what's been the reluctance to make use of this tool? Well, I'm, I'm getting asked that a lot nowadays, to be quite frank. And it's not just Canadians who are asking that. It's, um, you know, these, these uh, foreign human rights pro-democracy activists that this law was designed to protect, they're asking me this question as well. You know, you mentioned, I've, I've, I've spent the past decade pretty much advocating for this legislation. When we passed it in 2017, it was really, I mean, it was a shiny example of nonpartisanship. We had, a, you know, a unanimous vote on it, and it really looked like we were moving in the right direction. Um, but, you know, there's, there has been a hesitancy. Um, the fact that the law is called the Sergei Magnitsky law, it's named after a, a Russian whistleblower who uh, discovered a, two, a, a Russian tax fraud uh, of, of $236 million uh, that was committed by Russian officials. Uh, once he discovered that, he was, uh, and, and reported it, he was put in prison, prison himself and, and died there in, in 2009. Um, you know, it took a lot of work to, to get this passed. And like I said, it was, it was unanimous. We thought we had something uh, going and, and then it's, it stopped uh, pretty much cold right after that. You know, we had an initial tranche of, of names uh, that were named in 2018. We added some Saudi uh, human rights abusers. Uh, but Canadian officials, they won't even call it by the law by its name. They won't call it the Sergei Magnitsky law. Uh, and my, I have to presume that it's because we're afraid of offending um, these foreign dictators and authoritarians. Um, you know, I, we don't want to offend them. We're more concerned about maintaining good relations than holding them to account. There's no other reason why we wouldn't be using this this legislation. Every all of our other allies are using it. Why aren't we? You know, we've we've got to start. We've got to get over that. Uh, because there is an expectation, you know, uh, when when I brought uh, Boris Nemtsov to Ottawa, he's the the pro democracy uh, Russian uh, pro Russian pro democracy leader uh, who was executed or gunned down in front of the Kremlin in 2015. He called the Sergei Magnitsky law um, one of the most pro Russian uh, things and and policies that we could enact uh, because it protected uh, Russians and Russian activists who were trying to promote democracy and freedom. Um, and so, you know, we need to start using this. I've had other activists ask me why we're not. And uh, we're really becoming an outlier among our allies because the U.S., they've already sanctioned, uh, you know, a number of Chinese officials that are responsible for the, the genocide of, of the Uyghur minority that's happening there. Um, they've, they've sanctioned a number of, of Russian officials who are responsible for hacking the you know, GRU, the, the military intelligence arm that was responsible for the 2016 hack. They're using it. We're not. Um, and we've got to do something about this. We've got to start pushing back because otherwise we're, we're just going to allow the uh, Russian and, and Chinese regimes to continue walking over us. 
Yeah, and certainly when it applies to to the situation with China, I mean, the government's been uh, afraid to rock the boat, afraid of of worsening the situation. But you know, this this inaction is is certainly it seems being perceived by China as a weakness because it just yeah. seems every step of the way it it continues to embolden them. I mean, is that your sense? Yeah, well, my my sense is that the government right now just it doesn't understand the nature of these regimes. Um, that's another thing. You know, when when we back down, um, you know, countries like China or governments like the, the ones in China and Russia, they take advantage of this. Um, you know, they're 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 not like us. They they're not interested in in diplomacy. Um, they're interested in simply winning, and they don't care who gets in the way. They will push them out of the way, bowl them out of the way. And um, and right now, this government has been has been completely ineffective in in standing up for Canada's interests when it comes to China and Russia, and it'll continue doing so until we take a firm position. Um, you know, there's no other way that we're going to get these two Michaels out. And I should add that there's another Canadian who's been imprisoned in China since 2006, and he often gets uh, forgotten. Hussein Jalil is this gentleman's name. Um, he was he was abducted on the streets of Tashkent in in. Uh, in uh, in in uh, Central Asia, and in 2006, and he was he was kidnapped to to China, and was uh, up on trumped up charges of, of terrorism. He was a Uyghur Canadian, and he's been there ever since. His family has not seen him since 2006. So that's another Canadian that's been sitting in a in a Chinese jail. We need to be doing more for these people, and you know we can start with sanctions. You know, find the officials who are responsible for detaining these Canadians specifically target them with sanctions let's start there and uh, and then continue on with our with our allies and start sanctioning uh, the chinese leadership and hopefully that'll change their behavior yeah, and that's a key point, right? Because we're not alone in this. And, and I, it would be a legitimate yeah. concern, I think, on Canada's part if we were going to take some bold steps and, you know, we, we'd have nobody, you know, with, you know, alongside us, so nobody, you know, with, with uh, our back. But I think clearly it's, it's the opposite, right? Our, our, our allies, as you alluded to, are, are wondering, you know, where, where's Canada here in all of us? They're looking for us to step up. Well, you know, and the U.S. has already sanctioned a number of Chinese officials. They've sanctioned a lot of Russian officials. There's a lot of low-hanging fruit here. You know, no one, I don't think we're going to ruin our relations with Russia if we place sanctions on the two guys that killed Alexander Litvinenko. He was a KG or an FSB whistleblower who in 2006 was poisoned with radioactive polonium. He died in agony over a month. Um, you know, this is a this is a no-brainer. You know, the the EU, the UK, the US have all sanctioned the two guys who have been clearly identified by the British government as being responsible. We haven't even placed sanctions on them. Uh, so, you know, we, we could start with those very simple cases and then move on because there are a whole heck of a lot of them. So, start coordinating with our allies. Um, and I think that our allies are willing to help. I think the U.S. appreciates the fact that we have respected our, 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 our treaties with them um, by detaining someone who, you know, Ms. Ms. Meng, who is being accused of fraud. They appreciate that. So I think that we can work together, certainly with the Biden administration, we can work together to place sanctions and try to get the, uh, the two Michaels out. And that's the only way that we can do this. I suspect you're right. We'll see what uh, happens in the coming weeks here. Uh, much more is mentioned at mcdonaldlaurier.ca, also disinfowatch.org. Marcus, thanks so much for making some time for us here today. Really appreciate this. Thanks so much, Rob. Anytime.
All right, take care. Uh, that is Marcus Kolgup, Senior Fellow at the McDonnell Laurier Institute, a Director of their Disinfo Watch project, disinfowatch.org, also a human rights activist who was uh, at the forefront uh, of that push uh, to, to convince Canada to bring in this Magnitsky legislation. And obviously, it, it was a great achievement getting that done, but if we're not going to make use of this, then it certainly takes away from the significance of that achievement. So, hey, look, I think we got to be prepared to stand up, to stand with our allies. And there's some very serious concerns about Chinese aggression, Chinese human rights abuses, Russian aggression, Russian human rights abuses. What are we prepared to do about it? Our number here, 403-974-8255, 974-TALK. Back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.